Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. It's here. Happy November to everybody. And wow, talk about a transition. I don't, I don't know what the weather has been like where you guys are, but here, what a shifting of, uh, of temperatures. On Sunday, I think it got up to 75, 77 degrees, something like that. And, uh, oh, my goodness, you know, we're blessed to get out of the 40s now. So talk about a major, major shift. But I'm not complaining about it. I kind of like it myself. But uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But tis the season, right? Things are, uh, are due to get a little bit cooler outside. I hope that everybody had a good October 31st. Whatever that is to you, and it might just have been Tuesday, October 31st, 2023, and hey, if that's you, then great. Um, we enjoyed our time together, though, uh, in the Malfry household, but um, anyway, I hope that you have had a good week thus far. Where we find ourselves today is just making our way through the book of Acts. If you recall, we've been going through chapter 16, and we've been looking at the history, right? The progression of the Acts of the Apostles, right? The progression of the early church. But along the way, all sorts of principles are being revealed. Like yesterday, for instance, in our daily devotional, when we saw or read about Paul's vision of the man of Macedonia, where we saw not only the fact that the Lord intervened, to shape where Paul and his companions were going, we saw also a principle being revealed that the Lord is always working, y'all. God is always sovereign. And even if we don't understand why he's doing what he's doing, just because we don't have answers, it doesn't mean that there aren't answers. It just means that they're not ours at that time. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord. He takes ownership over those things that take place. And we say, well, what? What's going on here? Why did this happen? I, the example for this in the book of Acts is the fact that Paul and his companions, first they wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing so. Um, then they wanted to go to Mysia, and the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from doing so. The Lord intervened to shape the course of their lives and ministry in keeping with his will, which is always best, y'all. That's what we see here. God's will is always best. Just because we don't have answers doesn't mean that there aren't answers. And I should have said this yesterday, but realize that one day we will know. One day we will understand. Certainly in this life, we are called to trust, right? Sometimes we do get answers. Sometimes the Lord sees fit to let us know um, by, by actions, by events. Sometimes we can see the fruition, not of our will being done, but God's will being done in that uh, he doesn't answer the things, the prayers like we would want him to at the time, but then he redeems those situations. He shows us that he had something so much better for us down the road. Sometimes we see that. Sometimes we do not, but one day we will. First Corinthians chapter 13, that great love chapter, right? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and beautiful, beautiful portion of God's word. But something is revealed there at the end of first Corinthians chapter 13. And it's that now we see poorly as a dim reflection in a mirror. Then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. You know, I think that this has to do primarily with our relationship with God and his love for us. But also a teaching is revealed there that one day we will understand. 
One day our knowledge will be complete and we'll be able to see why God has done what he has done. Right now, though he by his grace sometimes reveal to us, reveals to us why he does what he does, right now we're like the blind men with the elephant. Right, y'all have heard that proverb, that that fable, right? The the blind men go up to the elephant and one says, oh no, no, we're we're standing beside a mighty tree because he can feel the elephant's leg. And another one says, no, 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 no. We're beside this leafy bush because he's beside the elephant's ear, you know, really thin. The other one says, no, you two are ridiculous. We're in the midst of a jungle and behold this great vine to climb upon. And he, of course, was at the elephant's trunk. You know, we're, we're a little bit better off than that. But in terms of God's sovereign plan, the reality is, is that sometimes things happen and we don't have an explanation for it. And that's okay. We don't always have to know. We always want to know, without a doubt. But there's a reason why in Deuteronomy 29, when God renews his covenant with his people, that Moses talks about the fact that, hey, the revealed things, they're for us, they're for our children and for generations to come. But the secret things belong to the Lord. He takes ownership over those things. So that's what we saw yesterday. And also we saw that Luke is introduced to the party here. We went from talking about the things that Paul and, and his companions were doing to Luke inserting himself. It says, verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. So we know that Luke is now a part of the party. And where shall that party continue? That's what we see today, along with another valuable principle, another valuable teaching, valuable theology revealed about how salvation works. Let's pray and then we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us and we pray your blessings on us in this. Please guide us by your Holy Spirit. Let us understand the teaching of your word that is revealed here, not explicitly given, but is pointed to the principle that's revealed. Thank you also that we have this history this beautiful story of your provision and how you are building, how you've built and how you are building your church. Please guide us in this time and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are in Acts chapter 16 and we are picking up in verse 11. If you recall, uh, just talked about it. Paul received the mission from the man in Macedonia begging that they come there. So God called them to preach the gospel in that area. And we find out in verse 11 from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, right? Or uh, people pronounce this in different ways. Samothrace, Samothrace, whatever. Just get through it, y'all. It's a different language for different people, different tongues. It's all good. Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days, right? All we got there is the movement, right? The, the path that they are taking down as they are making their way to Macedonia. They get to Philippi. And as far as we know, all Peter has is this vision of the Macedonian man. So they go to Philippi, which is the primary city of that entire region. Remember, y'all, it's a Roman world at this point. Roman Empire is doing its thing, and they conquered areas, set up cities, all of these different things, right? That's the paradigm. We find out on verse 13 that on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
Side note, that is often how things worked, okay, for Jews, especially in the Roman world. Remember, they're in Macedonia. They're not in Judea. They're not in Kansas anymore. They're not in Judea anymore. They went outside of the city, went down to the river to look for the place of prayer. It was commonplace for Jews to gather in those places to offer prayers to God on the Sabbath. <laughs> Excuse me. And so we find out, we sat down and began to speak. And of course, this is Luke included with Paul, with Silas, with others. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, pause right there at the end of verse 14. There are two things that I want to bring out. Okay, the first is the nature of evangelism that we're finding here. What does evangelism look like? Does it look like tracks? Does it look like, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Please understand me, okay? But realize there's a lesson here on what evangelism should look like. They go to this place. They begin talking with the people that they find there. Surprise, surprise. You know, women usually are far more faithful than men. They find women that are gathered there, and they begin to converse with them. And then we see something curious. We see that the Lord opened her heart, Lydia's heart, to respond to Paul's message. Well, which one is it? Are they talking to him, or is Paul preaching a message here? The answer is yes. And I know I do that all the time. Does it drive you nuts? Sorry if it does. But, y'all, the answer to this is yes. It but realize what evangelism looks like here. Evangelism is not some grand event or anything like that. Evangelism is people, it is simply people who have been saved by God, who have experienced the grace of God, talking to other people and sharing their faith with them. And what that sharing looks like is a message. And we find that Lydia has responded to it. Now, there's something else I want to point out, number two. But number one, I want to go back to this evangelism thing, or I want to stay here for a moment. What comes to your mind when you think about evangelism? I've said this on here many, many times, and I'll say it again right now. Y'all, we complicate evangelism. It is true that there are some wonderful methods like the Romans Road. There, there are some excellent books written about evangelism. There's one Oh, is it Will Metzger? I think the last name is Metzger, but it's called Tell the Truth. Fabulous book, and it talks about sort of a meandering form of, of, of evangelism where um, he describes conversation. It's conversational evangelism. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to give you an example of what it looks like. And just recently, within the last couple of weeks, um, I, I find myself sharing the gospel a lot with people. And, and the reason I, I, I do that is not because I'm a super Christian or anything like that, but y'all, I deal with people and people are hurting. People need help. And the best help that they can have is Jesus as Lord of their life so that they can be transformed, right? And I believe the good news. And so I share the gospel with people, young and old alike. It wasn't too long ago that I found myself in the pipe shop. Y'all know that I, I well, maybe you don't. Um, again, don't jump on me. Don't come at me. Christian yeah. liberty, right? Uh, Reformation Day yesterday, we have the right to Christian liberty, but even more so Romans 14 and so forth. Nevertheless, it, it's not a common thing. I'm not addicted to tobacco, but I love to go and smoke my tobacco pipe. And uh, I found myself in the pipe shop, 
This was after the horrible occurrence that, that happened in Maine last week. And I found myself talking to, to one of the patrons at the pipe shop, but a good cigar shop. And the one that I go to is in Stanton and, and it's fabulous. Beverly cigar shop. Fabulous, fabulous place. I found myself sitting in there one day and I was smoking a pipe and some people were talking about what had happened. And, you know, we were talking about different things and, you know, um, I don't want to get too personal here, but, you know, we were talking about, well, you know, half of Maine right now is going to stock up on ammunition and buying more magazines because they're probably going to try to make guns illegal and that sort of thing. And so anyway, um, we, we got to talking more about it. And I, I, at one point we were talking about how evil it is, how terrible. And I just said to the guys, what do you think people do that? And he said, what do you mean? I said, go and shoot up a place. Why, why do you think people do that? And uh, he, he talked for a while and, you know, got into nature versus nurture and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually he said, well, why do you think that? Y'all, hey, hey, golden opportunity, right? And I talked to him about the fact that we're sinful and that it's not that the individual is necessarily a monster. It's that all of us have the propensity to commit great acts of wickedness because apart from Jesus Christ, we are prone to do that which the world would have us do, right? And it led to a, a really positive time where it turns out that God was a believer. I didn't know he was a believer, but he's a believer. And so we got to talk about Jesus. And, and But I didn't know that. You see, it was an evangelistic opportunity that just came out of talking. That's it. Just a conversation. What do we find here? We find that they've gone out to this place to pray. It's the Sabbath, so they're going out to pray. They begin talking with the ones there, and lo and behold, the gospel is worked in. But that's the thing. Y'all, if you believe in the good news of Jesus, working in the gospel isn't working it in at all. It's not contrived. If you're convinced that Jesus really is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, if you're convinced in the transforming power of Jesus, then it ought to come out. That's what's going on here. So that's the first thing I want to bring out. You know, conversation results in evangelism, and that's how it should be for you and me. But so there's another thing I got to point out here, and it it's mentioned so quickly that we may be tempted to skip over it. But remember what I said about Acts long ago when we started our, our study on the book of Acts? I said that in many ways, the book of Acts is like the book of Genesis for the Old Testament. Acts is like the Genesis of the New Testament. It's the Acts of the Apostle. Uh, apostles. It's the acts of the early church. So many foundational doctrines are laid down in the book of Acts as we see the life of the church unfolding, okay? Genesis is the same exact way. We get all of these doctrines from the book of Genesis. That's one of the reasons why the book of Genesis is so often attacked and people try to turn it into a fable or a metaphor or a myth or and we ain't going there today. That's a whole other subject about creation and all of that kind of stuff. But people try to do that with the book of Acts too. Even so, it is accurate. It is a history. And the things that are revealed therein about how the church functions, about the messages that are being preached, they reveal integral pieces of theology for us. 
We saw it last week with Acts chapter 15, didn't we? That the, the, the form of government that God has given to the church is Presbyterian because elders were elected and elders made decisions for the whole of the church. That's one of those foundational, fundamental things. Fast forward to where we are today, and we see something else foundational, something else fundamental, and that is how we are saved. Y'all, Realize what we just read. I'm going to read it again right here, okay? Verse 14, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. By the way, this means that she was a woman of means, okay? Purple cloth, very valuable thing. Nevertheless, says that she was a worshiper of God. And then listen, this is the end of verse 14. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You know, what is revealed here is the nature of faith itself. That faith is not something that you and I possess on our own. That faith is not something that we churn up, that we work up within ourselves. That faith, though logical, is not the product of human logic and reasoning. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not something that we listen to and we say, ah, yes, I see the value of this and I shall subscribe to it henceforth. We don't do that on our own. Is it logical? Yes. Is it something we should subscribe? Absolutely. But y'all, the faith that requires us or, or that is required for us to do this, to use the language here, the opening of our hearts that would allow us to respond to the message. That doesn't come from you and me, y'all. That is the gift of God. In essence, what we see here is, and I'm going to say words that to some people are scary. To some people are four-letter words, election and predestination. And yes, I'm talking about Ooh, I should have done this yesterday. Calvinism, right? Yeah, and Calvin would take great umbrage to somebody referring to a system of thought as Calvinism. Um, he had himself buried in an unmarked grave for a reason. That's why I don't often talk about Calvin. He didn't want himself talked about. But that, again, that's for another devotional. Nevertheless, it's this idea that we are elect, that those who follow Christ were chosen by God, that God chooses us and so, therefore, we can choose him, that, that he loves us, that, that he has first loved us, and that allows us to love him. You know, there are many different places. I actually used this this past Sunday. The question is not if you choose to follow Christ. The, the question is not if, if you submit to his lordship. Obviously, you have to do that. You have to choose to do that. The question is how do you choose? Well, my friends, the only way that you and I can choose to follow Christ is by faith. We're saved by faith. But where does faith come from? As it says with Lydia, right? The, it says, the Lord opened her heart. Take Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says it here very clearly. This is controversial. Shouldn't be. It's very clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's right there. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Write it down. 
Go back and read it later. It tells us how salvation works, that salvation isn't churned up inside us. That salvation is the act, right? Justification is an act in time and space. Salvation is the gift of God that he does unilaterally. And I should have looked it up. I quoted it on Sunday. Though I can't remember. I think it's Spurgeon, not Edwards. But I think it was Spurgeon who said, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary in the first place. We do nothing to earn our salvation. We do nothing to churn up faith within ourselves that would lead to salvation. Salvation is the gift of God, no different than it was the Lord. This is Acts chapter 15, verse 14. No different than it was that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Y'all, what a gift. You know, some people take this and they run with it and say, oh, does that mean that we're robots and that we're this and we're that and the other? Y'all, the wonder is not that, and people say, well, that's not fair that, that God chooses one and doesn't choose the other. Really? You're going to tell the almighty God that that's not fair? It's completely fair. It's completely just. He's the creator. We are the created. Read Romans 9 sometime. He's the potter. We're the clay. He has the right to take the same lump of clay and make some objects for noble use and some for destruction. But realize this too, y'all. Nobody ever goes to hell that doesn't want to go there. And I don't mean that they would say it in the same way that, 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 you know, ACDC would say it, that they want to be on a highway to hell. But nevertheless, you don't have to say it if you live like it. If you actively reject Christ, if you have no desire to do what he wants, but only what you want, y'all, nobody ever goes to hell that doesn't want to go there. And this idea that, well, what if you, what if you ask Jesus to save you? What if you, you think that you're saved and all of this other stuff, but you weren't chosen, you're not elect, so you don't end up in heaven. Y'all, we just read what makes people turn to Christ. What happened with Lydia is what happens with everybody who turns to Jesus. The Lord opened her heart. Nobody turns to Jesus without the Lord opening his or her heart. You know why? Take your pick of the biblical metaphors of who we are apart from Christ. You hear everything from the fact that we're lame, that we're blind, to the greatest, which is, as for you, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions. I don't know about you, but how many choices do you see dead people making out there? I used to do this thing. I went to a Baptist, Southern Baptist school, and this was a hot topic. There's a lot of Southern Baptists that have embraced this theology now and believe in the sovereignty of God. But at the time, there were not. And, and every day, I would sit at the lunchroom table and I'd argue with people all day long, all, all lunch long, sometimes all day, and I skipped class, but that's another story. Nevertheless, I would argue with people all day long, and they kept insisting, yes, you're saved by God. God chooses you, but only because he knows that you'll choose him. My first response is, where do you find that in the Bible? That's not election. That's ratification. God simply ratifies what you want. And salvation is all about you, not about him. And they would say, yes, okay, God saves you, but you still have to ask him. And I would come up with this metaphor, right? Where I'd say, all right, let's say that you got a dead person and you got a syringe full of life-giving serum, right? Because that's how they treated salvation, that it gives life. And indeed it does. I said, all right, let's say you go to that dead person. You say, all right, I got this syringe full of life-giving serum. And all I have to do is, is, is give you this shot and then you'll be alive again. What would the corpse say? And, and sometimes I would have people that would fall into the trap and they'd say, well, if I... 
I would definitely want life. So I would choose and I'd say, no, 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 no. What would the corpse say? Well, the answer is, is that the corpse says nothing because dead people don't talk. Spiritually speaking, apart from Christ, we're dead. We don't even realize it. Lydia didn't even realize her heart was closed. It took the Lord opening her heart, you see. And she's the paradigm. And she's just one example, y'all. There are loads of examples of this where God goes in and saves people. The Lord opens the heart. It is by grace you have been saved, not by works. Um, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. You see, if salvation is about Lydia opening her own heart, if it's about her own reasoning skills, she gets to claim a part of her own salvation. The only part we get to claim is the fact that we've been saved. Now, what happens next? I pondered doing a separate devotional on this altogether, but I'm not going to because this is a little bit controversial and this is a devotional series, not a sermon series. But what we find out next is verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Side note, pretty powerful act of persuasion there. She's like, you don't have to come, but if you think I'm a believer, then you will. Lydia is very good. She's a merchant of purple cloth. The woman knows how to sell, right? So they go and they stay with her. But there's another little tidbit in here that ought to inform our thinking. Very, very quickly, y'all. It ought to inform our thinking on what baptism really is. That baptism itself is a continuation of the covenant as of old. That baptism is not about declaring that that you have chosen to follow Christ. Baptism isn't about what you say. It's about what God has said to you. That's why we have Lydia becoming saved. And unless something miraculous happened, the timeline presented here is that Lydia comes to know the Lord and then her whole household is baptized immediately. And then they go and stay at her house. This is sequential. This is all in in the course of a day, right? Um, is it possible that Paul went and preached a message and everybody converted there? Yeah, it's possible. It just doesn't say that. Instead, we find out that baptism has got to be something different than what many people believe it to be. Baptism, realize it, 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 it again, I, I, I don't want to take off on this. I don't want to do a whole separate devotional on this, but I do want to challenge your thinking on this that an entire household is baptized right there in the course of a few hours. Was there time for everyone to convert? Yes. Is it likely that everyone did? No, it's not likely. But instead, what happened is that all those who were in Lydia's household were marked for the kingdom of God. Marked for the kingdom of God, signed and sealed for the kingdom of God. Would they need to place their faith in Christ? Absolutely. Just like children do that we baptize here. But again, you have to ask what the purpose of baptism really is. Is it about declaring your faith or is it about declaring the salvation of God? I would say it's the second. Now, we can talk about that further. Um, Perhaps we will get there in another one of our devotionals, but I think that's enough for today. If you have any questions, I'm, I'm here to be a provocateur from time to time. You know, Paul was wonderful at pulling the pin on a theological grenade and rolling it out and letting it blow up. I don't mind doing that from time to time myself. But if you have any questions, if you want to talk, please feel free to reach out. For today, bask, enjoy the beauty of salvation. 
that it is based on the work of God so that none of us can boast and bask in the fact that we do nothing to earn it, nothing to merit it. Instead, we can simply enjoy it. And I hope that you will enjoy your salvation. And I hope that you'll tell others. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us today. And I pray that as we consider the good news of Jesus, that it would be indeed good news in our hearts. Spur us on in faithfulness to tell others of you. Work in our hearts, Father. And if any don't know you, I pray that you would open their heart and draw them to yourself. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow at 6 a.m. with another devotional. Until then, I hope that everyone has a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. Um, and, uh, and get out there. Enjoy it. It's cooler weather, but get out there and enjoy the weather. Thanks very much.